Okay. Select a pot with a drain hole. Check. Fill pot to half one and two inches from the rim. Seed according to directions, water, let drain. Okay. I guess I know what soil looks like. <laughs> That's really a big bag of just Okay. Okay. I have never gardened before in my whole life, if you can't tell. For almost no reason whatsoever, I have decided to teach myself how to garden. Well, that's not necessarily true. I do have a reason. A similar reason to why so many people my age have decided to do things they've never done or even tried before. The environment. Look at that! Just a little guy's soil! Look at that! Oh man, this just smells great. It smells like grass. I thought that was grass smell. I didn't realize, okay. A few years ago, scientists told us that bees were in danger and the environmental community kicked it into high gear, working every day to save our honeybees. The good news is they succeeded. The Washington Post reported that honeybees have been on an uptick for the past few years. The bad news, all bees are not out of the woods. As our temperatures rise and our air gets a little dirtier and our natural habitats shrink a little more, anything we can do to help has value. So, to help our friendly little pollinators, I decided to do the best I could, and for now, the best I can do is a tiny balcony garden made up of some flowers. If it goes well, it very well may expand, but for now, let's start small. Oh, I spilled. I spilled so much soil. Oh, God. Oh, man. Oh, no. I'm just gonna... Okay, the first step is to determine our environment, where we are going to grow a garden in the first place. Let's assume you are also living in Florida, maybe even Central Florida, like I am. It's September, at the very edge of autumn. In general, our autumns are not noticeably cold, more brisk and chill. We rarely push ourselves toward freezes, though it isn't fully out of the question. Anything can happen. However, assuming the norms, it's going to be warm and tropical and a bit rainy, and maybe even a bit cold. We're tropical, and tropical plants flourish in this environment, like the palms and ferns that blossom in our rich, boggy forests. But in our gardens, colorful bursts of resilient plants can bloom in all sorts of weather. But what specific plant? Like I said, I'm a complete novice to gardening. I don't even know if I have a green thumb of any kind. I've never tried before. So I wanted something easy, something that I could take care of regularly and soon see the fruits, or flowers, of my labor. Frankly, the internet is no help. I peruse dozens upon dozens of sites. Best flowers for beginners. Easiest Florida flowers. These are the flowers you should grow in Florida. No one was quite clear on which ones I should plant and why. So I made a choice. I went to the Home Depot. I bought a huge bag of potting soil, three little pots, and three bags of seeds. One for forget-me-nots, one for snapdragons, and the one I really wanted, blue salvia. Blue salvia are long, thin plants with tiny little buds when they bloom. They create a miniature tower of deep lavender, the color of a blueberry pie. The plant itself is a relative of mint and sage, with relatives native all over the world, from both Americas, most of Asia, and the Mediterranean. They may not grow perfectly in the autumn, but they can bloom throughout the summer, and so I might as well start growing them now. And, most importantly, they're great for pollinators, with hundreds of little tubes all along the main stem. 
No offense to my other two flowers, but I'm really rooting for the blue salvia. I have a feeling they're going to be beautiful. Everything so far is going well. The soil is in the pots, and I have named each experiment. The forget-me-not is named Ulysses, the snapdragon is named George, and the blue salvia is named Walter. Today, I become a gardener. That is, until I reached a crucial step. So, How do you sew? I am 100% not doing this correctly. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I'm Nick D'Alessandro, and this is Wait 5 Minutes, a podcast about Florida by a Floridian. If being a gardener is an essential facet of being a native, I am a poor representative. Today, I'll be telling you about some of the greatest gardens in all of Florida, showing you the incredible ways Florida gardeners succeed and embarrassing myself as I try desperately to be your new favorite gardener friend. I think everyone enjoys gardens. You know, they enjoy flowers. They like being outside. Um, how to accomplish that can be a little daunting if you don't have any background in it. I mean, all you have to do is go to a bookstore or go to the library and there's all these books and all these magazines and they all tell you how to do it. Unfortunately for us that live here, none of that is true. None of the things that are in any of those books is accurate for Florida. So you, you, you except for one book, there's a great vegetable gardening book. What's it called? It's called the Florida, um, Florida Fruit and Vegetable Gardening. I'm gonna need that. It happens um, to be the book that I wrote. Oh, well. You see? <laughs> It is, it is the definitive go-to book on growing fruit and vegetables in Florida. At least that's what it says in my bio. My bio says that. But, Perfect. Yeah. I mean, that was a shameless plug. Yeah, wasn't it? it was a good one, too. Yeah. That's Robert Bowden. He is the executive director of Harry P. Lou Gardens in Orlando, home to the largest rose garden in the state. Mr. Bowden has served in this position for over 26 years, a horticulturalist who has made Lou Gardens a considerable entity in its own right. He's had a long career starting as a park ranger in Florida, eloping with his wife at the age of 19, and working at several different gardens and estates until settling right here in Orlando. Bowden is exactly the cheery gardener you would hope he is, delighted to make jokes about flowers and plants and our humid weather. When we got settled into the Rose Room to chat, he sat himself in a green leather chair, which he revealed with glee was also secretly a recliner. He popped it back immediately with great satisfaction, then informed me that the large couch I had set up shop on was also a recliner. Sure enough, with the pull of a string, my feet popped up and I rocked backwards in the couch to both of our delight. We were fast friends. It's golden hour, late evening on a Tuesday, and the glass doors of the garden house are illuminating our little spot as Mr. Bowden shares wisdom, quips, and stories about the magnificent Lou Gardens. Put quite simply, Lou Gardens is a quiet, humble, uh, Florida cracker, farmhouse, private estate. The last person who lived here, obviously, was Mr. Lou, and Mr. Lou had um, kind of an industrial hardware business here in town where the Ace Cafe is today. It used to be his building. Before Mr. Liu arrived, the land had two other notable inhabitants. 
The site this garden was built on has been inhabited by Europeans since 1885, when a small farmhouse was built during the era of citrus farming in central Florida. A man named John Thomas Mizzle owned the land for a decade or so until another owner purchased it at the turn of the century. Mizzle's family still resides on the property. A small cemetery along the road holds 36 marked and unmarked graves in a quiet, secluded pocket off the main path. With the new owners, the land expanded, and by 1936, it was in possession of Harry P. Lou, spelt L-E-U, and his wife, Mary Jane. They were rich and white, so they had plenty of opportunity for hobbies. Though the gardens began under their ownership, Harry himself had no part in that. He was not a gardener. Make no mistake about that. No picture that we've ever found in any of the archives. We have lots and lots of archives from the four families that have lived here. We have, we have never seen him without a shirt and tie. The Lews had employees, Mr. and Mrs. Bradley, who would aid in the care of the gardening itself. The Lews would even travel the world in order to bring back exotic plants to their abundant acreage. The most famous of these transplants was the camellia, a type of flowering tree that exists almost exclusively in South Asia. However, these flowers took to Lou Garden with ease, and the Camellia Society of Central Florida blossomed into place. They have been meeting every year for almost 74 years, celebrating local camellia growers, receiving classes from Mr. Bowden himself, and holding a competition for the best bloom in town. We work really hard trying not to be someone that we're not. We know it's a collection of camellias and azaleas, southern, typical ubiquitous southern garden plant material. Um, what we have done though over the years is quietly expanded in the last 25 years what used to be um, a collection of maybe 500 different plants, excluding the different varieties of camellias. So now it's like 6,500 different plants. He's not kidding. Walking the long pathways, you get the sense of endless green stretching far beyond your view, curving out of sight. Everywhere you look, there is another garden off the main path to delve into, analyzing each sign, each collection of plants and flowers. All told, the garden has 29 collections and gardens, ranging from highly specific, like the banana collection or the fern collection, to broader categories like the color garden or the arid collection. My personal favorite is, not surprisingly, the native wetland garden, where wading birds plod along amongst the cultivated environment. Whatever type of plant you're searching for, they have it. Vegetables or vines, magnolia or hibiscus, there's even an ornamental grass section. But one of the most standout spots in the whole area is the rose garden. Set in a wide open spot, rose bushes line every walkway and every color imaginable. Pink, yellow, red, orange, white. They shine like gems from the bushes. It is the largest formal garden in the state of Florida, a verifiable landmark right beyond the gates of Lou. To try to maintain the largest formal rose garden in Florida that we have here at Lou Gardens without using chemicals, that's a pretty tall order. So at one time we had an excess of 150 different varieties of roses. I can tell you now, looking back, that was stupid. It may have been interesting, but not all roses are created equal. Mr. Bowden goes on to tell me about roses that pick up bugs, roses that need chemicals every single day, roses that catch diseases out of nowhere and wither immediately. I'm no formal gardener, and though I'm positive it wasn't his intention, my friend has almost totally assured that I'll never try growing roses. That's okay. 
Robert left me with a bushel of advice and one that would carry me into my next adventure. Really try to be a generalist as best I can because I'm afraid if I go, and maybe with the vegetable garden I've gone down that path, but at least if I've gone down there, I get something in return. I get to eat stuff, you know? I get to eat vegetables and herbs and fruits. And let me tell you, there is nothing in the world like pulling a carrot out of the ground and eating it. Okay, so maybe the next plant I'll try to grow is a carrot. But first, I had another garden to visit, one of the most famous in the whole state. That is the Singing Tower at Bach Tower Gardens in Lake Wales, Florida, along the central elevated ridge known as the Lake Wales Ridge. It is the highest section in the state and includes Sugarloaf Mountain, famously the highest point in Florida. Where the tower sits overlooks a valley of sorts, possibly one of the few elevated vistas you'll find in state. We're on Iron Mountain, though Bach Tower Gardens have taken over the spot, cultivating one of the most unique experiences around. The tower itself is just over 200 feet tall, a muted pink stone monument. The top of the tower is lined by statues of birds looking outward and down. Just below are a series of art pieces that resemble cypress trees as they root themselves in the water. A gilded doorway greets you overlooking the final resting place of the garden's founder, Edward W. Bach. Everything about this area resembles a religious space. The architecture, the place of importance, the bells. In reality, its origins are secular. However, as the rain started to pelt the trees above and the swelling bells overtook the surrounding area, it's hard to ignore some potential of divine presence. The gardens were a project of Dutch immigrant Edward Bach, who moved to America when he was six years old. He spent his adult life as an author, won a Pulitzer Prize, wrote poetry, and became a lifelong advocate for environmental protection and reverence. Like many rich elites of his time, he visited Florida during the winter months and fell in love with Iron Mountain. Here, he founded a bird sanctuary which, with the help of architect Frederick Law Olmsted Jr., was eventually converted into the sweeping garden it is today. Bach gifted the tower and its gardens to the American people on February 1, 1929. It was meant to be a lasting icon, a representation of his gratitude and devotion to Florida and our wildlife. This goal certainly lasts. As you approach the garden, the tower looms over the tree line like a beacon calling you inward. The garden holds several different paths, such as the pollinator garden or the wetland boardwalk. There's an outdoor vegetable garden where scheduled events teach you how to cook with garden-grown veggies you've just picked. One back pathway has a shack with a sign engraved outside that reads, Window by the Pond. Indeed, the small building hosts a few benches for you to sit on and gaze out a massive pane of glass. It overlooks a small marsh where all manner of local wildlife may stop in for a visit. The wall reads, quote, This is nature's show, not ours. No scheduled performances. End quote. Botanical gardens have several purposes, and Lou and Bach both achieve them with grace and ease. Mostly they're botanical, meaning they're all about the plants they are growing. The plants are not just here for you to ogle and admire and take nice pictures, they're also to educate and to inspire. Every individual type of plant in both gardens have little signs that tell you the scientific and common name of every single plant you see. Liatris provincialis, Heresia fragrans, Psychotria nervosa, 
Coromia speciosa, Dianala cerulea. I could go on and on with names as beautiful and unique as the plants to which they belong. The signs and the flowers serve their real purpose, to educate. And in my case, to teach me something I had never considered before. It may seem obvious, but plants can go extinct. We are familiar with animal extinction and familiar with the looming threat of habitat loss that looms over the animals with dwindling populations. It's rare, however, that you'll see an article or a think piece on the massive human impact on our tree or plant species. Devastatingly, the numbers are remarkable. According to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, there are 947 endangered plants in the United States alone. Florida has a handful, including tree cactus, Krug's holly, four variety of palm, and more. Lou and Bach have areas dedicated to the preservation and growth of endangered or threatened flowers and plants in Florida. If you, like me, have never considered this possibility, these gardens are harsh awakenings in the middle of the colorful splendor. Not everything can be abundant, overflowing, easy to toss in a pot and grow on your balcony like my snapdragons. These gardens remind you how delicate it all can be, how tenuous that balance between a thriving, living thing and a crumbled, dead root. Florida literally means full of flowers. When the Spanish arrived, it was clearly the most defining thing about us. Perhaps they were painting us with a certain majesty so all the other Europeans would be jealous of the Eden they had stumbled upon, but the name stuck. Not to mention the fact that we have several iconic flowers. Our state flower is, of course, the orange blossom, the fragrant white bloom that bursts from orange trees. The five white petals with the gathering of white stems in the middle are so iconic, they're plastered on planes, trains, and postcards. They are the symbol of tropical paradise. Hilariously, they are not even native to our shores. Another iconic flower, one that is native, is the ghost orchid, which hides in the swamps of South Florida. The ghost orchid is a delicate, symmetrical porcelain bloom, so unusual and rare that there are many cases of people who attempted to steal the protected flower and clone it in labs. Our flowers are not only iconic, they have famous stories connected to them. They are everywhere. So who am I to attempt to join the fray of Florida's gardens and gardeners? It should be inherent to a Floridian, it's part of who we are, but bringing something to life, caring for it with all of your attention and devoting yourself to its growth, that's a terrifying prospect. However, as he had so many times, Robert Bowden provided some wisdom. You gotta get out there and you're gonna plant things, you're gonna kill things from time to time, but it's important to remember that it's just a plant. People are somewhat, sometimes, um, surprised that I don't have a greater reverence, if you will, for plants. You know, that, oh, I have to save them at all costs. Clearly, if it's endangered with extinction or something, yes, we need to do what we can. But, you know, if my petunia dies, I don't care. It's not Aunt Martha. It's a petunia, okay? So you're just going to have to get over it. Remember all the things that you did and why it died, you keep a journal. You just write little things down. You know, if I had just planted the carrots three weeks earlier, I wouldn't have had the frost or something like that. Then, when you get ready to plant carrots next time, you'll flip, 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 oh, there. But really, um, you have to get out there and you have to kill some stuff. You have to get, um, you have to have some successes. 
People often talk about how the joy of growing trees is that it'll be there long after they're gone. Gardens, in a sense, are very similar. Even if the garden itself may die or change or develop, the knowledge grows with it. Bowden's father was a gardener and his grandfather before him. My grandmother is a gardener. She's kept a dozen flowers alive in her front yard as long as I've known. Harry Lou and his wife and the Bradley family that planted the flowers, they left behind a space in the middle of Orlando just for us to return and savor and enjoy. Edward Bach literally gifted the American people his garden as a meditative space to be amongst the flowers, endangered or otherwise. Gardening is about flowers to help the bees, or fresh tomatoes and broccoli to feed your family, or herbs to season your meals, but more importantly, it's about building on what you've learned. I'm probably going to kill Ulysses and George and Walter, but I bought a journal and the weather is good, so I will keep trying until we blossom. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Wait 5 Minutes. This is episode 4 of our 12-episode second season. If you would like to read more about Lou Gardens and their year-round events, you can check out the link in my bio. If you visit, keep an eye out for Robert Bowden. I'm sure he'll have some wisdom to impart to you as well. You can also buy his book at the link in the description. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review. I read every single one, and I'm always looking to hear what you have to say about this show. Your reviews help the show grow and help me improve every single day. You can also reach me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WFMPod. While you're there, why not share the episode with your friends? I'm sure you know someone who would enjoy it, especially a joyful, happy little episode like this one. You can also send me an email at wfmpod at gmail.com, especially if you have an idea for a future episode. I'm working on season three right now, and I would love to hear what you would love to hear. All of the music used in this episode is from Lobo Loco. You can find the titles in the description below, along with a link to more of their fantastic music. I'll be back next Monday with another story. Until then, I'm Nick D'Alessandro. Be good to yourself, be good to others, and please drink more water. Have a good week.